Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today we continue our research series talking about the first phase of our 2017 research on millennials and the LCMS. We are digging into our series on research, uh, particularly the research done by LCMS Youth Ministry, um, and especially the research done on millennials in the LCMS that we did a couple of years ago. Uh, We hope the findings will help you and your youth ministry uh, not just reach millennials, but also reach uh, Gen Z and our current generation. Just to give you a bit of an overview, in 2017, Uh, LCMS Youth Ministry partnered with LCMS Research Services uh, to conduct a study of young adult retention in the LCMS and in the larger Christian church. Uh, This three-part study sought to learn about millennials, now uh, young, almost middle-aged adults, (laughs) uh, and to help uh, us to prepare to work with Gen Z who are currently in our youth ministries. So our goals for this study were to, one, collect data specific to young adults who grew up in the LCMS, regardless of their current faith affiliation. And this was to focus on their home congregation, their family, current beliefs, and what influences their relationship with the church had with their relationship as they were discipled uh, in Jesus. The second piece was to compare research findings from a specifically LCMS perspective with findings with studies in broader American Christianity. So these were studies maybe done by Pew or Fuller Youth Institute or Barna or Lifeway Research, and to see if there were differences, but also similarities, as many churches had maybe seen some of the uh, outcomes of research from those play out in their local congregation. We wanted to be able to see how that fit into broader LCMS. The third goal was to initiate a conversation in the church about the care for the millennial generation, uh, to repent where needed, correct, and capitalize on our strengths to serve Generation Z and future generations. So we're going to break this down in a couple of ways. Uh, First, we're going to talk about the different phases of research, and then we're going to talk about some of the themes that came out of that. So we're going to talk today about that first phase of research that we did with LCMS congregations. So 1,800 congregations were included in a random sample uh, that we uh, sent out communication to. Um, those that sample reflected the size and location of the LCMS kind of overall. Of those uh, who we sent surveys to, 184 congregations responded, uh, usually through a pastor or a DCE. Uh, and the survey contained questions about the congregation uh, and then specifically about the confirmation classes from 2004 to 2006, uh, which assuming the standard confirmation age of 12 to 14 made those young people in their mid 20s at the time that we did this research. So joining us to kind of debrief that phase of the research is uh, our primary researcher, uh, Ryan Knut, who's uh, the Senior Research Analyst for LCMS Research Services. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Glad to be talking with you. So, Ryan, one of the big questions we had going into the research was around the retention rates of young people in our church. And Ryan, can you talk a little bit about how we know the retention rate from baptism to confirmation and then what we found about the retention rate from confirmation to young adulthood? Yeah, so there there really haven't been any direct studies tracking retention from baptism to confirmation at, at this time, uh, for this time period. Uh, but we do get a 
a fairly clear sense of it by looking at synod-wide statistics. So congregations each year report uh, their baptized membership, they report, report their confirmed membership. Uh, they're also asked to report things like uh, child baptisms and junior confirmations. And so by looking at that data we, nationwide uh, or, or synod-wide, we can, we can actually see that, that there appears to be a gap, uh, a, that not every child who is baptized uh, is, is retained through confirmation. And, and you know, back, back in, in, in earlier times, it was in, in the 1950s or so, it was, it was actually a much closer gap. It was much closer. There was hardly any gap at all. Um, but, but over the last uh, few decades, actually, it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where there, there's about a 30% gap. Um, so we see that, that about a third don't, a third of those who are baptized are not, uh, are not present for confirmation 13 years later. Um, so, so that, but then after that, we have no real metrics to really track what happens after confirmation uh, in the data we gathered. So that was why we, we used our survey uh, to, to look back at those records, uh, who was confirmed in uh, those years, 2004 to 2006, and then ask congregations, where are they now? So we could get a direct measurement. Um, and sadly, what we found out uh, from this exercise was that only around a third of those who were confirmed remained in the LCMS uh, all these, you know, 14 years later or so. Uh, and so what we learned basically is that if you combine those two uh, rates from baptism to young adulthood, it seems uh, as though the, the retention is one in five. And, so, and just to clarify, when we talk about this, because we get this question sometimes. So when we look at this from a synodical standpoint, is this this brings into the fact like some people might be thinking about like just my home church, my youth getting connected as a, as a young, young adult after college and things. But we're looking at it broadly to say, you know, we have young people who are going to get confirmed, graduate from high school, move to another area, and whether they're finding home in another LCMS home. And our research, we're looking at it nationwide, would show us those young people who do that. So again, we're looking at, at more of a broad perspective, how well our individual congregations may be connecting with another church when a young person goes off to college and starts a career. So it does take that into account. Yeah, exactly. How, how many are still in an LCMS congregation Correct. somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and it's a good reminder to us to make sure to fill out accurately <laughs> the information that congregations send us, right? Because it does help us to give get a really good picture overall of where our retention rate is and uh, and where we see movement. Because uh, truly, one of the reasons we looked at this data in the first place was because we saw that gap growing from baptism to confirmation um, in a way uh, that was disconcerting to us. <laughs> and we wanted some additional information on that. Um, uh, so I did a quick overview of what this phase of research looked like, Ryan, but can you give us kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a better picture of what we did in the congregational research phase of the, of, of this project? Certainly. Um, I think, I think one of the, the, the fundamental questions that went into this was what we were just talking about. Can we get closer to a, a firm number on, on a retention rate? Um, and so that was one of the, the key points. But since we had this opportunity to, to engage with congregations and, and, and learn from them, uh, we, 
we used it to also try and find markers, uh, patterns, think commonalities among congregations that have that have produced uh, that have that have highly retained their their young adults, and and then those that that have seen maybe higher rates of them uh, drifting away. What what can we see is in common? What are some of the strengths? What are some of the best practices? Uh, what are the characteristics of congregations that that hold more of their young adults? And so we were able to look at look at aspects of, of the the youth ministry program that they had, the the staffing, uh, the the just the broader context, things that can't change, like you know where where is it located? Um, and, and so we were able to to, to take those and, and find out you know which one of these. Uh, seem to make a difference, which ones don't make a difference, uh, and what, what can congregations do in the future if they want to try and improve uh, the rate at which they retain these young people. Which is making us so glad that you were on this research team, because while Mark and I can come up with the questions and the hypothesis most of the time, somewhat, uh, <laughs> Ryan was definitely the guy who um, who sorts through that and finds those those pieces, right? The pieces within that that are able right. to m- indicate um, if something uh, has an impact or doesn't. Um, uh, you certainly make the rest of us look a lot smarter than we actually are, um, <laughs> for sure. Uh, we're like, well, there you uh, go. right? And and often, like when we look at it, then we're like, well, can you break this down? Because I have, I want to know about this subset of people. And Ryan does a great job of helping us figure out what what's meaningful, um, what has a meaningful impact, and what doesn't. And sometimes either of those answers tells us a lot. Um, one of the things that we did see. Um, that, that I think we kind of intuitively know, <laughs> knew going in, but maybe didn't directly ask, was that the longevity of the leader who responded to the survey had a huge impact on the kinds of results that we got and the kind of retention that we saw. Can you tell us a little bit about what that meant? Yes. yes. So so quite simply, as you said, we, we didn't actually directly ask this, but but quite simply what we found was in congregations where the survey respondent, so the person who filled out the survey, that they were actually present at the congregation back when these kids were confirmed, and then today when they're taking the survey, um, we found that those congregations had a much higher rate of retaining young people. Uh, and and this was this person. If we go back and look at our results, we see almost all of these were were pastors, and then the next highest group was. Uh, were, were other church workers like commission workers uh, or, or uh, DCEs, and so what we see is 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 the longevity. What we what we can return from this is the longevity of a, a consistent church worker, a pastor, a DCE, someone who has been there and built relationships and has has weathered uh, this this storm of their adolescence together with them. Um, Staying with them has is one of the biggest markers for uh, retention. And Mark, when we we talked about this as a team, as a research team, uh, we extrapolated from this a little bit. Um, and again, speculation, but we extrapolated a little bit here. Uh, what does that maybe tell us about the value of longevity for both church staff and for volunteers? Yeah, I think it was huge. And I think, you know, you hit on some of the things there, Ryan. I, mean, I think of that consistency and that relationship that gets built. I think sometimes it's 
um, you know, easy to take those things for granted. And I think this really was a thing for us to be like, wow, this is something that we can pick out of this and see this, that those relationships matter. Those connections matter. Those, that consistency of maybe how you move young people through age appropriate discipleship opportunities matter. Um, and when they can have a solid foundation with an individual, whether it's the pastor or church worker or others, um, then they can see again, that connection, they know where they're headed. Um, and they have that relationship and that trusted opportunity to come and talk to someone that they know cares for them. Um, and so, man, what was encouragement for us to talk to our volunteers and our church workers and say, your longevity matters. You're staying in the game. You're, um, you know, it's just anything we can do to encourage that. And it might, the roles might look somewhat different, maybe especially for those volunteers, but just importance of those relationships and having those connections with the young people is something that, you know, we definitely uh, turned a corner a little bit to spend a little bit more time on that. Um, and really encourage our, our volunteers and our church workers to, to understand that value for young people. Well, Ryan, we will dive deeper into some of the themes of the overall research in later episodes. But today, we are going to focus on a few things in this phase that we found made a positive difference in retention. And Ryan, can you maybe walk us through each of the four things we found that really stood out in the research? Yeah. So, um, and, and some of these will be, will be taken in, in very different kinds of ways, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but, but one of the, one of the things that we found, and, and it was, it was definitely a strong marker of retention was larger congregations tend to retain at a higher rate. And, um, you know, we, we're, we're going to, we're going to report on everything we see, even though this is necessarily isn't something that can easily be changed for a congregation. Um, you know, it, and and that, but it also, on the other hand, doesn't mean that it's impossible for small congregations uh, to to retain. In fact, uh, we did we did actually see that even though larger congregations had a higher retention of LCMS retention of young adults in LCMS, smaller congregations were actually much better at knowing where all of their young people were, mm-hmm. um, which is which is a different kind of strength, but it, it still speaks. To, to 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 something that, that small congregations can do they still have those relationships they still have the connections um, and so so that's th- there are different kinds of strengths uh, for our various congregations um, and I'm going to interject here really quickly because when we talk about retention it's probably <laughs> we probably need to clarify right that we're talking about retention specifically in the LCMS, right? So we're talking about when a young person was indicated that they were either still at their home church, they'd been transferred to another LCMS congregation, or that pastor knew they were worshiping in another LCMS congregation. Um, We could talk more, we will talk more in depth about what it looks like for those young people who were retained in the Christian church at large, or those that were left. But for today's purposes, we're talking about retention in the LCMS, right? Right. And, and, and so, and, 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 that's actually an important distinction because we're, this is saying the the larger congregation is the one that they grew up in. It's not necessarily the one that they're in now. Um, right. So, um, so yeah. that's a key distinction. We're talking about the congregations that that raised, that confirmed, and and, and raised these kids through high school, um, regardless of if they went to another LCMS congregation after high school. Um, and, and, and that leads right into this point, because another interesting thing we found was congregations that have had a large number of this same generation move into the church as young adults. So they, they came after high school and joined 
this church, we see that that church also produced a large number of young adults who were retained in the LCMS as a whole. Um, and so it's, it's, it's what we see is, is two different sets of time, um, but, this but these congregations are, uh, are, are drawing in, are attracting, are retaining young, young millennials, um, what, both in their adolescence and then later on in young adulthood. And that might be really uh, an indicator that we've located a healthy church, right? <laughs> a church that is both retaining and is doing outreach and connecting with young people who are coming into that church body. Um, it's probably just an indicator of a healthy church. If I remember correctly, those churches don't necessarily do young adult ministry, right? It was more like, I mean, they found a healthy ministry. It wasn't like, we're not trying to say they found a church where they were like doing specifically 20 something ministry that it was a more broad. We found a home in this location in an LCMS church. Right. Correct. One of the things we, we actually did find was even that, that having a, an, a large proportion of young adults actually doesn't have an effect either. So it's not that it becomes a, a magnet for young adults and then just becomes a feedback loop. But what we, we, we actually did find that, that congregations can retain even if they have just a small number of, of young adults. Um, so it's not necessarily that it's a specialty, like, like you were saying. Um, and so part of what we find in the data is so interesting because like the size of the congregation or something like attracting young adults uh, aren't necessarily things that people can act on. <laughs> Um, uh, but they are good pieces of information for us to have and things for us to sort of navigate through. So knowing about your congregation and what might be working or not working for your congregation or what markers of a healthy ministry might look like, things that you would be looking for um, to increase your attention. Uh, not, the data doesn't always tell us precisely what it is that I need to act on to do uh, in order to create better uh, retention in the LCMS. Unfortunately, I wish we could find like more things that are just like, do this, do this stuff and it'll, everything will be fine. Uh, but that's not always uh, how this works. Uh, but there are some things. <laughs> okay. Um, we, one of the, one of the key things that we saw um, was, was first, uh, uh, and th this is maybe sort of in between something you can do, but something that's still hard to work on is, is keeping those kids as much as possible through graduation, um, retaining up to high school graduation see, showed in the data to be that they were much more likely to be held afterwards. Um, so, or another way to put it is if they leave, they're likely to leave before graduation. Uh, so that doesn't mean, if you get them there, then then they're they're in forever and and, and they're they're never going to leave. But uh, it, it it does seem to be a, a pivotal uh, turning point uh, that if you can hold them through graduation, uh, that they seem to be more likely to stay. But one thing that absolutely congregations can start doing today is is we saw a high correlation with having young leadership. Um, Getting young people involved in decision making uh, shows that 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 they are accepted, that they that they they have a place in uh, the congregation, they have a place in the family, that they are trusted, uh, and 
that that ultimately is is probably if I remember right, it was the strongest uh, correlative marker uh, for high retention rate. Is getting young people involved in leadership, and and that's that's not not just saying young the the youth themselves, but having young adults that the youth today look at and see. Oh, you've got you've got someone involved. I've got a place to go. I've got something I can grow into. Uh, having young leadership is is key. And I think a neat thing about that piece is that we've talked about this in other episodes too. Is that you're right? It has this kind of double connection in terms of you've got the especially in the sense of you have a young adult in leadership. You've got the high school student who both sees a church that cares for them and cares for young people, maybe is putting them into leadership opportunities. But then even when that young person, high school student may graduate and go to someplace else, they see the church as a place where they value young people. I'm going to get connected. And so it has this lasting impression on a young person, which was, was great to see. That might play out differently in individual situations, but it was a, a neat data point. Yeah. And this push that we see to like uh, make sure that they stick through high school graduation really does tell us the value of having high school youth ministry um, and whether it's big or little or what that looks like, but having a specific space in which that they have adults that are actively caring for them and engaging them in age appropriate discipleship uh, really is something that can have a long-term impact. It's not just about what you do in those four years of high school, post-confirmation, pre-graduation, um, but that in doing that, you are better, we are seeing them um, carry out that faith life into their young adulthood as well. And and just to be clear, we 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 saw that. But what we mean by young leaders was was someone maybe in their in their thirties, someone in their early thirties that that is a a leader in the congregation that these these people can look young people can look up to, and other young adults can see. You know, I have a place. I have something that I can be a part of. And that maybe ties into some of the things that we asked about, we hypothesized about, uh, and that we found didn't make a difference, um, <laughs> including uh, the age of the pastor, right? Because yeah. I think when we talk about young leaders, often people assume we're talking about a pastor or another staff member. Um, and actually, uh, we asked that, and and the age of the pastor didn't make a difference. Correct. So, so yeah, all this talk about young leadership Exactly like you said, it, it didn't have to be the pastor. In fact, in most cases, it wasn't. Uh, there are other leaders in our congregations, and uh, um, but in, in many ways, the, the, the age of the pastor didn't make a difference. In fact, uh, if, if it made any difference, it was that older pastors were slightly more likely to have to be in churches with higher retention rates, but what that seems to be is that seems to be linked to what we talked about earlier, the longevity. Um, so, so you know, it's 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 not likely that a that a thirty some pastor was there twelve years ago as pastor. Uh, but but you know, so so having young leadership present in the congregation that, that young people can see themselves in leadership is key. But that doesn't mean that you know. We need to we need to send out our our older and experienced ministers because they still have a valuable role they can play, and it doesn't it isn't detrimental by any means. It's it's it, I think maybe that the the diversity in leadership is probably far more important. 
so that was one spot where we saw something didn't necessarily make a difference. I think you hit another one of those that um, it didn't make a difference if we saw kind of a large group of young adults in worship or not. Um, maybe yeah. is there anything else on that one that maybe we would talk about? One one that stood out to me that that I was actually expecting to see the other way around was was there wasn't a higher retention rate for congregations that were near uh, local colleges or universities. I kind of expected to see that. Again, talking about churches that can be a, a magnet for young adults. Um, it, it, and what we, we saw was that, that being near a college or a university, uh, it didn't make a, a significant difference in, in the retention of young people. Um, you know, here, here is an opportunity where they don't have to move away and, and leave their home church. Um, but we didn't see that having an effect. Another very interesting one was we asked congregations what kind of changes they had made to their youth ministry programming. Um, and and we, we actually, we asked basically a checklist. Did you make changes to your curriculum? Did you make changes to your confirmation process? Um, and, and we had a whole checklist that they went through. And so we both quantified the changes that they made, the number of changes, as well as um, just the kinds of changes that they made. And what we found was that for, for nearly all of these things, there, there wasn't a profound uh, impact on retention. And, and what that, that might be is that some, I, 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 I postulate, and we can't really test this, but I, I wonder if, if, if we have some congregations that made good changes and some congregations that made bad changes. And so when we, we hold all those up and some congregations that, first made bad decisions and then made good decisions. <laughs> and you put all those together and it, it kind of just washes out um, and creates uh, a, a, a zero sum. Um, but the one, one clear exception in all of this was staffing. Congregations that had increased uh, youth ministry-related staffing uh, saw an increase in retention. And likewise, we saw that if, if they decreased the number of staff, we saw a lowered rate of retention. Um, now, we don't know the order in which this happened. We don't know if maybe the staff was let go because they were doing a terrible job of, of retaining the, the, the young people or the young people were leaving. So the staff had to be let go. Um, but but it is key. I think I think broadly speaking, it does speak to to that sort of investment in uh, placing a, a person, even if it's a perceived, but placing a value upon uh, the development of the young people uh, that they know and their families know that they're, they're being provided for and taken care of um, within the church family uh, specifically. I know those were questions that I was very interested in. Um, you know, I was looking for that silver bullet for confirmation, you know, <laughs> something that would have all the answers that we could talk about programmatically. And I think, too, even in some of the way that we train, you know, whether it's commission ministers and, and ordained pastors um, about around programming is that we're, we have churches who are probably looking for programmatic ministry. And at the same time, I think we're pushing back a little bit and saying it's about relationships. Um, and how do you bring those together? So how do you have programs that build relationships? Um, and really making that a key focus. I know that was one of the things that came out of the, the, the research that we did. So I'll just throw this question out. Why is the idea that we have to change relationships, not just programming, so powerful? 
uh, when you look at this this research? I think that's that's something that has is has broader uh, sociological implications than even just what what's happening in the church. Uh, I mean, that is that is a trend that has has really defined this generation uh, of of Americans that that they are they're sort of they don't have much of a of an eye or a preference toward structured or institution. Uh, in, in, anything impersonal doesn't appeal to them as much as sort of interpersonal, uh, relational. You know, they're they're. It, it's almost cliche to use these words, but it it time and again has proved that they're true. That that real and authentic uh, is is what they is what they desire most those are their top values and so so seeing relationships seeing that kind of appreciation is is better than than even a, a well-refined perfectly efficient structured program um, what what they really want is someone who cares about them mm -hmm. who, who who invests in them it is so interesting to me that we we formulated this question expecting to see that that programmatic change, right? I think we expected to see that that when people were actively making programmatic changes, uh, which is what most churches are doing, uh, which is what we found. Almost all churches were doing some kind of programmatic change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that, um, that that would somehow make a difference, and and I think our thought really was was kind of what thoughts have been for a long time, which is like, if you could just find the right curriculum, if you could just find the right setup, um, that that would somehow, that that could change the relationship that young person has with the church um, and, and retain them in the, in the church. Um, and what we found both here and in other parts of the data was that, um, that really the programs that worked were the programs that build relationships and that offer leadership and that helped uh, engage them in the broader church and, and did all the things that we then uh, turned into uh, the seven practices of healthy youth ministry, right? Um, that, that it wasn't, uh, that we don't need to be looking at um, how we're changing the program so much as how are we, um, building relationships and what programs, what curriculums are going to help us get there? Uh, how are we lifting up young leaders and what programs and curriculum are going to get us there? Um, we don't toss out programs and curriculum. All, like, yeah, we're not actually going to chuck it all out the window, um, but it's it's what's serving what, right? So um, it's not, it's that the programs are serving relationships rather than uh, relationships that are serving the program um, and who's in charge on that. Uh, and it, I truly like, um, we did not go in expecting that that was going to be this, as strong as it was. And that ended up being how we named the book. Right. Uh, <laughs> right? Um, and you're going to hear us talk about that throughout this series is that that really um, became kind of this, this fulcrum, this like center point of, of a lot of the things that we found. Yeah. And, and, and one thing I would, I would want to add too is, Changing program is not harmful either, so right, there right. there's still um, there still may be reasons to to refine what you're doing, to refine your curriculum, to refine the stages and steps that you might be taking. Uh, but what we saw is that the the simple act of doing that is not improving retention. Yeah, oh, super helpful. Um, 
Mark, I think one of the things that can happen as we start to dive into this, this data is that um, it can come across as a lot of law and not a lot of gospel. Um, and, and I think that's fair, right? Because this can come across as like, well, if you're not X, Y, and Z, then you're not, you're not doing what, what God's called you to do. So how do we make sure in all of this, both in this, uh, looking at this research, but all research, that our focus stays on Christ and his ministry and not just uh, fall into kind of guilt and despair over the fact that we were not a large congregation or, or we, uh, we don't have young leaders or any of that? Well, I think in the same way you're talking about, you know, is a relationship serving program a program is serving relationship is again that to not get lost and forget what our foundations are too. I mean, that we talk about uh, warden sacrament ministry where we ourselves hear that we are forgiven sinners and we're able to share that message with young people and people of all ages. Um, and so that's where we don't want to get lost in all of this, that that's our center. That's our foundation is Christ and his gifts for us and that, that grace that we receive. So we start there and not lose sight of that. Um, but then be able to look at trends. I mean, we look at history in terms of how communication has changed, the opportunities we have. I mean, I think of now coming out of, of coronavirus of how, you know, who had Zoom meetings as part of their youth ministry structure a year ago. Um, and yet because of relationships, because of the gospel, because we care for one another, people figured it out and sometimes a week <laughs> to do that because of we know Christ's love for us and that that is the foundation and the engine that drives these relationships, that drives the program. Um, and so that we're continuing to communicate that and to know, again, we're going to make mistakes as we uh, fallible human beings figure this out in ministry, uh, but that we come through that in humility, asking for forgiveness where we need to and continue to strive to do better because we want to serve one another and that we're thinking what is best for our families, our young people, our children and our congregations and having those honest conversations about that. And so we try to learn. That's why we wanted to do this research, to learn from it um, again, not to provide guilt or fear or point fingers but so that we can work together as a church body and in its individual congregations to serve our young people and point them to Jesus and the gospel. Super helpful. Uh, and there's so much more that we can dive into here, uh, but we uh, we are going to kind of break this up into several different conversations. So on the next episode, we're going to talk about the phase two and three, so the young adult survey and the focus groups that we did, um, and some of the key pieces that we came out of that. Um, and then we're going to talk uh, with some of the other parts of our research team uh, about uh, some of the themes that we saw that came out of that. Uh, so we hope that you're sticking around listening to all of these. Uh, we're excited to kind of take you along as we kind of go back through this, this data for the millionth time it thinks for us, but sometimes it's always new for, for somebody. Um, and a way that we think uh, with helps point you back to uh, to the gospel and helps you to point other people back to the gospel in an effective way um, as we empower you in your youth ministry. So a couple of closing questions that we have for you. Uh, how are you working towards longevity in your staff and your lay leaders as a way to help benefit retention? Another question is, how are you empowering young leaders in your congregation? And finally, how are you focusing more on relationships and less on programmatic changes in your ministry? Uh, we continue to keep you in our prayers uh, as you care for the young people of your congregation, as you uh, wrestle with uh, the things that you hear uh, from our data, and as you think about how um, you can use what we know to be able to better point young people to Jesus Christ and to help them to become disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Uh, we know that your work isn't easy, um, but we pray that God continues to use you as you raise up those lifelong disciples. 
If you want to read more about our research, you can get the book we wrote on the research called Relationships Count from for free from CPH. We hope it'll help you think through the blessing of God's grace of Christian relationships and how the church can engage young people as disciples of Jesus Christ for a lifetime. End Goals Podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFUO Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfuo.org slash youth ministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church.